Luke chapter 15. This is a, just a great passage that has three parables in it. I know I say that all the time, don't I? This is a great passage. Well, I mean, it is. It's all great. But um, three parables in it. I want to read to you uh, just quickly from a, just a couple of lines from a commentary. I don't normally do that, I realize. And whenever I say, I'm always kind of cautious to say that. Oh, he's going to read from a commentary. Okay, let's settle in here, baby. <laughs> um, but um, I always, I, I, one of the things I, I, do, I enjoy doing, I really enjoy doing it. It sounds weird, I know, especially coming from me. But um, I, I do enjoy reading Bible commentaries. I, one, of, one of the things I learned many, many years ago in school when I was studying for the ministry um, was my, one of my professors used to always say um, hermeneutics. That's the mechanics of uh, interpreting the Bible and so forth. Never read a commentary when you're preparing for a message until after you're finished, basically after you're finished preparing. Because that way you can approach the text, the Bible, with some freshness and, and not be biased in terms of your view. Now, I've done this long enough that it's pretty hard for me now to go to the Bible and not remember somewhere in the back of my mind some commentary that I read about it. But I got this new commentary the other day. I have this uh, software program. It's really cool. And um, it's called Lagos, and it has a lot of all kinds of Bible commentaries, as a, you know, like 20 different translations in the Greek and the Hebrew, which I don't read anymore, but, uh, but I look at it and try to feel smart, and, um, and I'm such a sucker because, you know, they, it comes across, you know how you have some programs and, and it, it, they pop up every so often and say, you can buy such and such library for, for $49.99, you get all of Chesterton's, or for $99.99, you get this commentary. Never heard of this commentary. But I have this philosophy in life. If two are good, four are better. If four are good, eight are better. I just kind of, I, I just think that way. So I, thought, oh, I, need, I always need another commentary. Never heard of it. And I read this. I had already used a couple of these words that are in here. You won't, you'll see, hear that in a, in a couple of minutes. And it just set the tone, I thought, for, um, for this chapter. All right? Kind of a long introduction, but here it is. Uh, Cornerstone Biblical Commentary says this, The three parables presented in Luke 15 concentrate on the same theme. The peril, you're going to hear that word in a moment, the peril of being lost and the joy of being found. This motif appears to be, uh, excuse me, appears in the parable of the lost sheep. That's the first one we'll see. The parable of the lost coin. That's the second one we'll see. And the parable of the lost sons. That's the third one we'll see. I'm going to come back to that. Just, just, just put some of those words in the back of your mind just for a moment. And we're going to come back to it. I want to just set the scene for you, all right? Now, here we are. Luke chapter 15. Jesus is talking um, in the, 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 the religious people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, once again are giving him a hard time about something. And uh, watch how he responds, all right? Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Tax collectors were bad people in this economy, okay, in this age. Um, and if you work for the IRS, I, I hope you won't be offended. That's not what he's talking about. In this case, they were just, they were just crooked because they would make their living livelihood off of how much they could overtax you. So they were just, uh, being a tax collector was sort of like a synonym for basically just a crook. Or a politician. Or, no, I didn't say that. Um, anyway, if you're a politician here, I didn't mean that, okay? Um, fifth, so here we go. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often, come, often came to listen to Jesus teach. 
This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Not trying to compare myself to Jesus because I'm not even close, but um, from time to time throughout my years as a pastor, there have been a few occasions where uh, those quote-unquote religious people, every church has them, um, I try to cuss every now and then to eliminate them out of here. But anyway, uh, <laughs> works pretty good, too. Somebody comes after me, I can't believe you said that word. I'm like, yeah, you don't want to come here, do you? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway there, are, there are these religious people, and, and they would so often say, you know, this is just happened to me a few times, but, well, you hang out with some, some, some questionable people sometimes. And uh, actually, one time in one church, I got... The board really chastised me. I was, and what, and the people were really not. I mean, they were somewhat famous, but they were known for you know, running pretty wild. They didn't with me. I want you to know that. But, but uh, uh, I say, yeah, those are my peeps, man. <laughs> That's where I'm comfortable. I'm more comfortable with them than I am you. What does that say? Okay. Anyway, I mean, Jesus had that. I mean, in a much greater way than me. Jesus had that. And he would hang out with some of these people. And the religious people would say, who are, you, who are these people you're eating and drinking with? Well, here's how Jesus answered them, by telling them three stories, beginning in verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he, when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and, and, and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns, in God, returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. It isn't that the 99 aren't important to Christ. But the one is just as important as the 99. There's an old story, and, and I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. Get used to it. I turned 60 last month, two months ago. Anyway, um, the difference is I know when I told him. Um, got a, kid, a kid walking along the shore, and there had been some kind of a storm, and, and all these starfish had been washed up on the beach, and just hundreds of them. And he's walking along, and he's just walking along, throwing them out into the water, and picking up them, throwing them back into the water. Some cynical guy comes along, probably from New Jersey, and he says to him, what are you doing, kid? And the kid says, well, you know, I'm just throwing these starfish back into the ocean so they don't die. And the guy says, well, what do you, why does that matter? Look how many hundreds there are. You can't do all of them. And the kid picked it up and threw it back out into the ocean and said, well, matters to that one. Yeah. Just that one. I, I often think that's how Jesus is. 99, and there's one. It matters. Jesus cares about the one. May, that may not mean much to you unless you happen to be that one, which I have been more than once. And uh, the one that, that, that got away, the one that strayed off course. And, and, and Jesus cares about that one. Man, I love that. Wonderful things about who Christ is. Let's keep reading here. Second story. That's the, that's the 99 and 1. 
Second story, he says, or, verse 8, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner, rep- sinner repents. He says that again. Right? So he's just going through this whole thing, you know, telling these religious people, Yeah, you don't like some of the people I hang out with. They matter. They matter. Third illustration that he gives is about, and maybe this is one that maybe you have. Uh, heard a little bit about, and I've talked about it a few times. To illustrate the point further, verse 11, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son uh, packed up his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So, you know, he's literally gone from the penthouse to the outhouse. I mean, literally, right? That's what's happened here. Uh, Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. This is true repentance, folks. This is a guy that's truly repentant. Dad, just take me, I'll just work for you. Pay me minimum wage. You know? So he returned home to his father, and while he, watch this, this is the key part. While he was still a long, a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. <laughs> But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for his, this son of mine was dead. Now he's returned to life. He was lost. Now he is found. So the party began. Wow. Now all of a sudden he goes from the pig pen to the, to the party. You want to get the alliteration going here. Um, it's interesting when you read back up there when he says that he saw him come and he ran to him. He didn't just wait for him. He ran to him, pursued him. Just keep that thought in your mind for a moment. Now, if I were a musician, I would give you some hum, something like, da-da-da-da, meanwhile. Because meanwhile, what's going on here, this all happens. Meanwhile, there's a big brother, the other son. Okay? Now, let me show you what. Meanwhile, verse 25, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, just stop right here. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. I want to stop right there just for a minute, okay? Wouldn't go in. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to switch gears here because I want, you, I want to give you, I want to communicate to you the tone in which the older brother 
was talking. He was whining. I tried to do it in the 9 o'clock service. And a parent of a 16-year-old came to me afterwards and says, you've got to get the whine down a little bit better. And I can help you with that because I've heard it, okay? She says, you've got to roll your eyes and you've got to stretch it out a little more, okay? So um, here we go. Let's see, let's, see what I, let's, see how, let's see how I can do that. So ver, verse 28, the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've, sa- I've slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back from squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. Now, you know, I'll work on it. But that's his tone. Thank you. That's his tone. Don't I wasn't good enough for an applause. Um, but that's his tone. I mean, he, I mean, he really is. He's, you know, it's like give him a little wine with his cheese or a little cheese with his wine. Um, he's just whining. Oh, come on, man. I've been working hard. Oh, come on. Look what his father says. Father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost. But now he's found. Keep in mind the context. Jesus is telling this, all these sinners that he's hanging out with. You know, let me show you something. I'm going to do something a little different. Getting a, taking, taking Renaissance to a new level. Last week I, I did poetry. Um, this week, uh, tonight I'm going to an opera, by the way. Just don't tell anybody that, but I'm going to an opera. So I thought, well, I need to do something Sunday morning that's going to kind of, you know, be consistent with that kind of uh, uh, being refined and so forth. So we're going to do a little art appreciation, okay? Um, seriously, it's, it's a picture that I love. It's Rembrandt. I've, never, I've been to Russia a few times. I've never been able to get to St. Petersburg, which is where I want to go, because at the, uh, at, that's where this particular original painting is in all of its uh, glory. It's Rembrandt's The Prodigal, The Return of the Prodigal. And... Um, I, I have I've read a couple of books about this, or one really good book is Henri uh, uh, Nouwen uh, on the Return of the Prodigal, and I've I've just kind of studied this picture a lot because it's, it, you know theologically people say well it's not exactly accurate because here's the son and he's on his knees before his father and uh, it's just really uh, you know repentant and you got some other guys in the back we don't know who exactly they are but but then that's the older brother and of course we know the older brother wasn't really there when that when that happened we just read it but for the sake this is art so you can do whatever you want to do but but just I want you to notice two things first of all notice the the the, 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 the prodigal I mean it's just look look at his shoes look at his feet I mean it just he's just he's been through it man he's been through it and, and he's just, he's been through hell is what he's been through. And he's just on his knees before his father. Father, forgive me. You know, I've been so screwed up. But then I want you to notice, the second thing I want you to notice is the older brother on the right. It's the older brother. And you can just see the repentance and of, of, of the prodigal. And then here's the older brother. Look at him. Standing up straight, kind of smug. You can almost see the little snarl in his eyes, can't you, you little worm? I can relate to the prodigal a lot. 
But I can relate to the older brother too. Because I've been judgmental. Stiff. What's wrong with you, you little worm? I've had that attitude, haven't you? See, I read something to you that was really important a moment ago when I started. That, that commentary I was telling you about that I had too long of an introduction to. I have never seen I read this last night, 11.57 p.m. I noted the time as I was laying down and, and just to read this because I like to read commentaries and it's so much better than ambient. And um, put you to sleep. Um, but I read this and I just, it just I like, in that, in that cornerstone biblical commentary, there was this term, it goes in, this motif appears to be the parable of lost sheep, parable of lost coin, the parable of the lost sons, plural. I've never seen that before in print. In 30 bunch of years of, of, of studying the Bible and, 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 you know, being fairly serious about this. Never seen that before. Lost sons. That is the truth. It was both of them. One was clearly a wretch. The other was just as much of a wretch because he was a judgmental little dirtball. You know? And you know what? If we're honest, we've been in both, haven't we? Here's the thing about this, the, the lost soul, and I want to talk about that and just very quickly talk about some, I call it the saga of the lost soul. Here's the thing about a lost soul. It's an equal opportunity thing. Because there are lost souls who, who come and they've been far from God and they have no faith and never claim to have any faith. We have, we have people like that here every, every week and I'm privileged to have them here. Uh, and they, but but that, that lost soul comes in to Christ and says, Lord, here I am, this, this wretch, desperately in need of what, what you did for me. And I'm trusting right now in the fact that, that you, you, you suffered and you died and you went to the cross and died and rose again from the dead and you did that for me. And I want to just put my faith in you right now. That's, that's one kind of lost soul. We have those here. Then we have the other kind of a lost soul. I did that a long, long time ago when I came to Christ. But since then, there have been other times in my life when I've been the lost soul. Lost my way. Wandered a little too far off the path. Usually out of just plain, unadulterated selfishness. Sometimes I had other reasons I could use, but it still came back to selfishness. You know? You see, and that, that, that too, you know, it's funny. It's, it's the Beatles, if you're familiar with what they called the, the, when, they, when they were really big, they had what they called the Lost Weekend, you know, the, and, and really the Lost Weekend was like a year and a half where they sort of disappeared. And John went on some sort of a tear, and I don't know what all happened, but I've read about the Lost Weekend, which was, which was something like a year and a half. Well, a few of us have had some Lost Weekends. And it wasn't necessarily because we were drunk somewhere. That may have been. Maybe it had nothing to do with alcohol. Maybe you just wandering and, and, and lost your way. You know? And, and the point here is the saga of a lost soul is whether, you, whether that means you're a lost soul for the first time coming to Christ or you're the lost soul who's been a follower of Christ and you lost your way somewhere. Either one, you are equally valuable and as welcome to God as you were from the very beginning. 
Uh, just three very quick things. We talk about the, the saga of the lost soul. That, that, and I've already talked about the problem of a lost soul. Just, it just, just the fact that, that it happens to all of us, where, wherever we are in life, that, that despair, that sometimes disappointment, that disenchantment, sometimes that, that depression that might come with being a lost soul. And then maybe, maybe it's not clinical depression. Maybe it's something, something less than that. Or maybe it might lead to, to clinical depression. Sometimes it does. That's just the problem of a lost soul. The peril of a lost soul is basically just, just that. I mean, basically, the peril of the lost soul is it just sucks. Sorry. It, 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 there's no other way to describe it. It just, it just really, really stinks. And, and it, it, it has a feeling sometimes of apathy. Sometimes it has a feeling of, of isolation, loneliness, feeling alone when maybe you're really not. But the peril is just that it, that it's just, it just really stinks. And, uh, and, you know, people can sink into deep-seated depression and all kinds of psychoses and even less serious but equally sucky things like, like boredom, mediocrity, humdrum living. God never intended you to live that way. He never did. We go there sometimes, but he never intended that. So when we talk about, you know, the peril and the problem of the lost soul, it's just, it's just, it can just, it can just be despair. Feeling like God's a million miles away. But then I don't want you to miss the problem, excuse me, the promise, the promise of a lost soul. We've seen the problem, we've seen the peril, but I don't want you to miss the promise of the, of the lost soul. What's the, what's the promise? The promise is God, always, God will find us. <laughs> when we were, when, our, when Stephanie, our, our youngest, um, was in sports, she started playing volleyball in seventh grade. And we lived in, in Colorado at the time, Vail, Colorado at the time. And uh, a lot of you people sometimes complain about, you know, you had to drive to Oh, uh, let me see. You had to drive to Bedminster for your kids' games. You know, or I had to drive over all the way to Westfield. Or I had to drive to North Caldwell. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? We would have to drive for, in seventh grade. And in high school, it only got worse. We would have to drive from Vail. If you know where Vail is, two hours west of Denver. We would have to drive to, like, Rangeley, which is almost to Utah, you know? Or, 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 or we had to drive to Gunnison. Gunnison, six-hour drive from Vail. Six hours for junior high sports. So don't whine at me. No, don't whine at me about your kids' sports, all right? Because you're not going to get any sympathy at all. All right, I'm going to put my arm around you and say, you don't know squat, okay? Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm half kidding about that. Although I'm not kidding about that. We, you, you, when you're in Colorado, you have to drive a long ways to, for kids' sports and so forth. And I remember in seventh grade one time, Stephanie had to go. And, of course, in seventh grade, they put them in these out-of-the-way gyms. So this was in Leadville, which is like uh, about two hours away. It's just a godforsaken place. It's the highest incorporated city in America. It's 11,000 feet. And by the way, alcohol, alcoholism is the highest per capita of any place in the world, in the country at least, because there's nothing else to do but drink. But, um, but I remember finding her, and she said, some out-of-the-way gym. We got there, saw the seventh-grade game. After the game, we went to talk to her and everything, because she had gone there with the team, and Charlene and I came later. And I remember her saying to me, uh, oh, Dad, I'm so worried about you finding us because I didn't know where we were and how we got here. And I said, I said, honey, let me tell you something. Never worry about that. Because no matter where you are, no matter how far you go, 
I'll always find you. Don't ever worry about it. Ever. Parents can relate to that. I want you to magnify that about 12 times. That's God the Father. Saying, I don't care where you go. I don't care how lost your weekend is and how long it is. I'll always find you. I'll always find you. And he can. So the promise of the, of the lost soul is, real, is, is just great. God actively pursues us. That just blows me away. That anyone would pursue me, but especially God Almighty, actually pursues us. Going to hunt us down, just like, the, just like the, 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 the 99 and 1. One's missing. Where is he? I'm going to go find him. The lost coin. I'm going to go find him. Where is it? That's the example that Jesus gives. The lost sons. One goes way off. One just a stinking self-righteous. I, I, I love him too. You know, and, and, and that's, that's the thing. He pursues us. He looks for us. And he waits for us. That's just a great promise. And the other part of that is that Christ is always waiting for us to return to him. Give me one. Francois uh, Moriac, a French writer, 1900s. That is the mystery of grace. It never comes too late. It never comes too late. God has a love for us. He, he's just not going to ever let us go. I gotta ever let us go. Let me let me let me, let me pray. I'm gonna get the band to come back up. Stephen, the guys, um, come on up, guys. And and as they get ready, let's just pray for a minute. Lord God, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity and the ability to stop, reflect, and just think, meditate, dwell on these incredible truths. These truths that you love us so much that if there's 99 of us, if there's 100 of us, and 99 of us are there, and one of us, one of us loses our way, you're coming after us. And that, if, if we, if, if, and that when we really do go on our own and really do screw it up, not only will you wait on us, but you'll come to meet us when we're ready to come to you. Lord God, we are so thankful for that, and we thank you for your love and for your grace and for your incredible ability to pursue us and that Jesus loves us that much. Lord, we thank you that you have a love for us that just will never, ever let us go. Never let us go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.